This podcast was made possible by you. Myself and my fellow occultists are motivated by your curiosity, hunger for wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and your desire to develop your inner knowing and self-awareness. So please consider subscribing to our membership-only page at Patreon called Ask the Occultist Next Door. You can always submit your questions to me at asktheoccultistnextdoor at gmail.com or find me on social media as I am Dia Isidora and ask away. Greetings and welcome listeners. My name is Dia Isidora Durden Robertson and I am your occultist next door today. Join me for an explorative discussion and series of interviews in the topic of esoteric science and spirituality at Ask Your Occultist Next Door. Good day, listeners. It's dear Isidora Durden Robertson here, and uh, today I'm going to start this um, conversation with my dear sister Sunshine, mm-hmm. uh, sitting opposite me, to respond to some of your questions that were shared with me and submitted to me uh, over the past couple of weeks on social media. And one of the biggest and, and sort of most popular questions I got, which was quite surprising for me is in various ways asking me about uh, managing life as a priestess or managing life as an occultist, um, as in how we, um, where does the woman end and where does the priestess begin and how we manage day-to-day life, uh, romantic life, family life, um, and just living in the 21st century but still doing very specific, very archaic work um, as priestesses. And I'm sure this could be a resonant topic for those of you who aren't necessarily on the priestess path, but are on a devotional or a devotee path to uh, you know, different lineage, different ways of, uh, of working with the divine and uh, connecting to deities, the land and the sky and the spirit, because that way of life that kind of um living requires a lot of your time energy effort and and a state of constant devotion and then of course other aspects of our life also require devotion otherwise it's not really worth doing it so um i've really sort of play put um some of your questions into just one topic and uh sunshine and i are here to answer uh, these questions. I'm so happy to be here with you, sister. And this is a very good question. I think so too. Yes, and I had to have um, quite a bit of think about thinking about it because I don't feel that personally. I've always been very good at uh, managing that balance. Mm. It's it's been a journey. It's been a learning curve. Um, but I can certainly share about my journey and how to, how I got to where I am now. And that's not saying that um, I have this all covered uh, at at any uh, any moment and any perspective uh, any point. But uh, but I feel that. I have a I have an all-round understanding um, 
And th really, this is a lifestyle question. It's, it's not so much about esotericism. It's not so much about spirit. It's just about uh, how do you, uh, what lifestyle you choose and how committed you are to it. So I personally grew up in, in a cult, uh, in a family environment that was uh, specifically uh, designed around devotional work as it is. Uh, it was a very ritualistic way of living. Uh, and that is that is the background I've, I've carried and brought into um, my tradition and my practices now. And so leaving that environment, I went through quite a few years of resenting and resisting actually uh, a ritual way of living um, to an extent where I would, would sense um, how the planetary alignments affected me or would sense the energies of the land and the spirit, but would purposely not actually focus on it and not follow it or rebel against it, so to speak, just because that was my way of uh, creating my own personal freedom at the time. Mm -hmm. That's being quite young, that's being 18, 19 years old. And um, when I've moved to Boston at 18, um, I've uh, somehow found myself uh, back in a very similar environment that I kind of left and ran away from, so to speak. And there, uh, there were groups and circles that invited me to practice ritual magic with them that was just as dogmatic, but a lot less traditional. Uh, and so that was my process of sort of finding freedom within, um, within these new structures, new ritual structures, new communities that come together. And I think community will be a large part of answering this question as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a different difference between managing your love life and managing your personal life. And there's a huge difference uh, when you are in community that is recognizing you and your gifts in your abilities, in your essence. And with that community, you can practice on a regular basis. Depends on what cycles you follow, because obviously all ritualists, all occultists follow some sort of cycle, whether it's planetary, whether it's a, a natural cycle, an earth cycle, whether it's a, a, a very personal or blood magicians follow their, their own blood cycle. So, um, it's just doing that in a, in a community, doing that in, a, in an environment where, uh, where everyone's, everyone's on board, everyone's with you. And even just uh, um, in my little witchy cottage, the sisters living together, mm -hmm. uh, we have our own flows and our routines and we show up for those, uh, for those times and places of ritual by the fire. And then that becomes a lifestyle. And then you're no longer compromising anything because it's just what you do. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, it's about it being a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we're, uh, what's the word that I'm thinking of? It's, it's not something that we're just learning about. It's something that we're, we're actually embodying. And I think that that is really an important point that this is a path that you walk so whether you are actually in ritual outside underneath the full moon with all your ritual tools or if you're chopping carrots for your soup for your family that also is a very powerful ritual so when we bring that awareness of ritual mm -hmm. into everything that we do mm -hmm. hmm, 
that's real magic there. That is the real magic there. And you raised a very good point. I think a, a definition of what ritual is, that was also a question I was asked of me, but mm-hmm. definition of ritual and ceremony and the difference between the two. So uh, that that's what I feel ritual is. It doesn't really matter I mean, yes, structure is relevant, making an occasion, creating an environment that's supporting the ritual is relevant. But really, ritual is actually being present and focusing your energy at the point of whatever action you are taking doesn't really matter. It's that you are fully present and you're fully focused and your intention is where your body is. That's the baseline of ritual. And then after that, of course, uh, when you share that energy with others and the ritual become open, which means it's not just you, but other people, then structure becomes necessary and everyone knowing where they place and position is becomes necessary. But uh, ultimately, if you just sort of uh, water it down or, or condense it, I should say condense it, and ritual is just presence and focus. And the choice behind the focus as well. What do you choose to put your energy toward and where you choose to focus on? So even when we're asking these questions, actually, uh, this this is this is an approach, or maybe I'm flipping the mirror for, for those of you who are interested in this, to say that we can focus on the imbalance of, uh, you know, embodying the priestess and embodying uh, the woman and embodying uh, the ritual practitioner, embodying a partner, a husband, a father, a mother. Um, Or we can focus on actually just being present in each moment, in each situation. When we are mothering our children, we are present as mothers. And when we are in a ritual space, we're present as ritualists. And to learn a way to flow from one to another. And, you know, without uh, pretenses, um, we fall short. Sometimes we fall short. I most certainly have done many times in my life. (laughs) I think we all do. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, That's part of the learning process. Exactly. This is is something that uh, then we can reflect on and understand and learn from. Um, And then again, there was a question about what is ceremony compared to ritual Oh, that is a really interesting question. Uh, right. So I'm just going to share um, my occultist perspective here. Uh, so my occultist perspective is that ceremony is a reenactment. For me, ceremony is the ceremonialists present showing up to reenact a rite, to reenact a story. Sometimes it's mythological, sometimes it's energetic, sometimes we, we embody certain beings, sometimes we call upon the stars. But ceremony for me is a, is, is, a, is a reenactment uh, with the intention of teaching the audience for the ceremony about ancient wisdom. Whilst ritual really focuses on the energy that moves within and out of outside of our bodies and within our bodies and around us and rituals shares and directs that energy um so a ritual can become a ceremony but a ceremony can never become a ritual wow that's fascinating i have such a different i have a different twist on okay that. go go share your twist i'm really interested wow well i call ceremony i think of ceremony as when i am uh, with the plants, mm-hmm. and my plant allies, and mm-hmm. I am really just in that mode of receiving 
the, uh, the, the voices of the wind, the voices of the plants, the fungi, the, the solar energies, the lunar energies. And then I've always thought of ritual as being like when I am actively involved in calling in and invoking and working with those energies rather than just receiving and listening. Mm -hmm. So interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, I don't think the two actually conflict. I think they, you know, this is the understanding that some, sometimes true, two things can be simultaneously true at the same time. And this is one of the talents of an occultist to actually view realities uh, and simultaneously see them as truth uh, um, and, and move between them. And also, yeah, I, I mean, in, in what you shared about ritual, invoking and actually making being involved in that space. Yes, absolutely. So my understanding of ritual is, is, is including that, that there is energy moves your energy and your energy and moves and you're making a tangible effort and, and showing force and presence and form in the ritual space in order for that experience to happen. Um, but I, I think sometimes we do that in ceremony too. We just don't do it in such a private relationship with spirit. We do it to show other people uh, a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we know how powerful stories are anyway. That's why we're sharing it. That's why we're sitting here. So um, that, that doesn't, for me, take away from the magic of ceremony as opposed to rituals. It's not a hierarchical system. It's just how we behave in it. It's different. And I actually think that the stories that reenact um, the the ancient mysteries and how the gods and goddesses uh, acted and came to earth, and they are, you know, oftentimes their stories are full of struggles just like our lives, and sometimes they're full of victories just like our lives. So this is actually uh, ceremony or reenactment for me is also sharing about symbolism and, and then teaching people how to interpret symbolism, not to take things absolutely literally. Um, so... Yes, I think I think we we created a little <laughs> a nice little cauldron of understanding around ritual and and um, ceremony. But I'm more than happy to go into that in more detail if there's any more questions after this podcast. Oh, um, I'm sure there will. Yeah, be a lot um, more I'm more than happy to to go into this, and um, you know, for the topic of. Um, Again, finding balance um, in in our lives. Um, it's good to have a routine. Oh, I like that because I was just about to add that, that <laughs> yeah. personal practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. my first awaking moment in the morning, which is usually before sunrise. I'm blessed <laughs> yes. like that, <laughs> and, uh, and and I I make a point to welcome myself in my body. Mm-hmm. I have this mantra of thank you, I love you. And I say that into all of my cells. I start at my toes and I work my way up my body and I love my physical incarnation. And it is a wonderful way for me to wake up, arise with the sun. And also it sets the tone for the mm-hmm. rest of my day of coming from this really grateful place. Thank you, I love you. Mm. Thank you, I love you. Thank you, I love you. That's beautiful. And that helps me in moving through all the challenges of the day. Absolutely. With that perspective of the priestess that I am. Mm-hmm. So that's a key element. Um, I've, I make uh, a very uh, strong statement when I start teaching people uh, to create a personal routine that is devotional, mm-hmm. 
but it's suitable for them. So it's not about creating, uh, you know, creating a huge, huge altar and, and chanting 20 prayers for hours in the morning. Although if that is what suits you and your time, by all means, put all efforts there. Uh, but it's about creating a routine that you can comfortably do every day. You can commit to and it's devotional. So my routine is uh, is following the similar similar principle, but it looks very different. Um, I would love to wake with every sunrise, but I'm not a morning person. She is not. <laughs> I am not a morning person. I'm sure people can tell that we've spent a tangible amount of time living <laughs> together. Um, so me rising in the morning uh, is actually me just kneeling by my little altar that's in my window, lighting a candle, focusing on the fire and mirroring the fire a flicker of the candle into my inner fire my heart fire and really just waking up my body with that heat mm -hmm. um and uh, sometimes the fire turns into water if it's hot in the summer but in england we do not have to worry about that so so fire and candles work and just yeah just really sort of building that flicker of fire in my physical body and that's how i arrive and my prayer is of gratitude and I think the morning prayer should always expect gratitude. But it's also asking for the courage and strength to embody my work and asking for the courage and strength so I have the means and the ability to share with others. Mm -hmm. And should an opportunity arise during the day, then I have that, that power behind me um, because I already affirmed it. And I actually have an evening routine as well which is very different my the focus of my evening routine is protection in my sleep i love that you and your daughter we both do that yes this is something that we've picked up many many years ago i think i think even my um, my grandparents yeah i'm i'm certain my grandmother taught me that actually um so this is basically just laying down in bed before you shut your eyes uh, opening up your energetic field and asking um, for protection in your sleep, asking that anything that does not serve you to leave your side and anything that is there to aid you, to guide you, to show you things. Because obviously as priestesses, we often dream. And we, I personally receive a lot of my guidance in my dream space. So it's really important for me that my dream space is protected. Um, and so I will ask my guides to, to hold that field for me and create a bubble around me. And I'm not going to go into the details of how the spell is chanted because that perhaps is a little little too uh, intimate. intimate. But I think I shared enough for anyone to then create their own uh, chantment. And if, if you feel that uh, sigils have to be involved or a symbol have to be involved or uh, there, is, there is an object that needs to be coming with this practice, then you can totally do that as well. I do that too. I love this because it's like a, an untangling of the knots that have been tied up during the day, uh, usually by other energies that are not ours, that involve us, and, and making that sacred space for your dreaming, just like how we call in the circle when we begin our rituals. That is creating that, that space for your dreaming. I, I love that, and I'm so grateful I have learned that from <laughs> your daughter. Yeah, I think this is one of our little, simple little but powerful practices. 
And then we can go into daily practices as well. Um, I My traditions are involved around the Egyptian pantheon, which is specifically celestial magic. So I will uh, do my daily practices and regular practices around what the planets are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, you know, and then again is the commitment to how often is it uh, happens and how often is it possible. And the reality is that sometimes, um, you know, life gets in a way and we, we don't show up for every single planetary alignment. But as long as I, I feel as long as we show up for the ones that are relevant for, for our experience of life and mm-hmm. and specifically relevant for the deities that we're working with. So, for example, I work with Isis and Sakmat. So I will show up for planetary events without fail. Uh, that is involved around Sirius, the planet Sirius, because that's associated with Isis. And I will show up for events uh, involved around Regulus, which is uh, the heart star of the Leo constellation. Those planets are my my um, celestial guides, if you see. So I watch them and I observe them and I work with their energy. Uh, and I think for you, working with the moon and the lunar cycle is mm-hmm. very much like this. But working with the lunar cycle actually takes a lot more commitment because it's continuous. Well, I'm a midwife, so I am trained by birth. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I am ready on every new moon and full moon. And then even in between, because there's a mm-hmm. waxing and waning process it in between. It, yeah. it, it is my it is the lens, yes, that mm-hmm. I see the energies around me and, and how to work with them. Mm-hmm. And you know me. I, I plan my life according to the yeah. new moons and the full moons. That I can vouch for. That's true. And so so that is that is the, the practices and the routines. And yes, if if we have partners in our lives mm. uh, and they are, you know, whether it's it's at a stage of dating where we're having to go out and, and um, meet and spend time and we need to really manage our time uh, in devotion to that person when we are with them and also look at, you know, is there, is there clashing with uh, with uh, what we're doing uh, in our devotional, in our ritual pl- space. So... Um, can be difficult when your partner doesn't join you yes so there's an option there's an option to obviously finding and connecting to people who are actually more than willing to and open to join you in in the ritual space uh it it has a lot of positives it also has a negative too because if you are uh in in a sort of higher power position i'm sure a lot of people will hate me say that but if you're a high priestess then you're actually duty bound to show up in certain ritual spaces Mm -hmm. and having your partner there it can actually be uh, challenging and distracting. Exactly. Uh, so it's not necessarily serving the union or serving your covenant or serving you uh, as a practitioner. So again, pros and cons, but at the same time, it's happy to, it's beautiful and uh, um could be very nourishing to share those experiences and powerful and powerful yes of course um but my my method uh that i found is actually working for me is when i spend time um, in a partnership i'll show up when i'm there 100 percent and then when I'm not there and I have a ritual space to show off to, I'm also showing up to the ritual space 100%. And I actually find it not miss- mixing the two uh, and, and sort of almost almost like compartmentalizing my energy mm-hmm. a little bit helps uh, me 
and and sometimes that fails sometimes there's overlaps and then your attention is pulled and then your focus is pulled and that happens too and then you know it's just having the awareness and the self-awareness as a priestess that okay uh, or as a devotee uh, okay this is something i need to do different here because there's overlaps so that's a matter that's one way of of managing and that you know that can apply to uh, a family work-life situation as well mm-hmm. uh, that can apply to those who are very devotional toward uh, the mystic path or studying mythology because that takes and I can really relate to this being someone who spent most of her adult life studying ancient history and uh, occult and theology professionally that sometimes when you go into the spaces of study, you need complete silence and you really are just, as I say, lost in my books and lost in my apartments and my st- and, and, and I create an absolute chaos around me. I've, I've seen her in this nest. Yeah, I create an absolute <laughs> chaos around me in the nest and I am in search of truth. Yeah. I am in search of my, my great, I'm on my grail quest and nobody can come in and out of that space. Um, and if they do, they distract me and then, uh, you know, then I lose my flow. So there's, there's also those situations. So there's a lot of energy devotion goes toward that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then stepping out of that uh, and doing this sort of back and forth and not being depleted. That is the trick. That's the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, that, is, that is, I think, where that is the gold in the conversation is doing doing this without get without actually feeling depleted and it'll happen um it certainly happened to me i think it'll happen to everyone at least a couple times and then to roll back that energy and finding your center and your core is really helpful i think that those moments of when we are depleted from um from our energies from from the from the work that we're doing and then doing so our our cult work and then our family work and then our work work right mm-hmm. so one one wise woman said to me one time she was like the real the real wisdom is knowing when you're taking your mask off and putting another one on and i really i really think about that a lot because mm-hmm. we do wear many different hats and mm-hmm. masks during the day mm-hmm. and and night mm-hmm. and it's important to know ourselves so well mm-hmm. that we know when we are stepping into one role and then stepping into another role which are all archetypes of, mm-hmm. that create who we are inside mm-hmm. and i think that this is the path of the priestess is to to know these different aspects of ourselves to fully embody them mm-hmm. and when we do have these times where we are depleted from all of the work that we're doing, because all of this is devotion, right? Mm-hmm. It's giving, 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 and with our hearts. But when we are in that space of depletion, it's a really crucial moment for us to be able to see what is it that I need right now so that you know how to take care of yourself. And if you know how to take care of yourself, then we can take care of our world that is a very key information too. If you know how to take care of yourself, you can take care of the world. So we, we've arrived to the place of uh, self-love, really, mm. and self-appreciation and self-nourishing. Doesn't it always come back to that? It's always co- <laughs> it seems to be always coming back to that. <laughs> and so if we can find those ways and methods of which we can, we can do that, then uh, again, the whole um, story around this question becomes obsolete 
in a way. Mm. Um, now, the other other question I've got in this in this topic um, that was interesting, it was almost like a sort of an opinion rather than a question is that, oh, you're a full time priestess. So how does that work? That's a really good question. <laughs> I was like, well, it works interestingly sometimes. Um, and I don't want any listener, anyone to think and believe that in the 21st century, a full-time priestess looks like how it looked in ancient times or in ancient Egypt or in Babylon, because we're not living in the same world. That is our reality. And we need to, you know, we are, yes, we are moving uh, between worlds and are, you know, one foot in, one foot out, as they say. But uh, but we are also still here um, and in, in this world, and we need to show up for uh, ourselves, as we said, and for others around us just the same. So when we say full-time priestess, I really don't mean I'm sitting in an ancient temple, uh, 12 hours a day chanting and praying. Oh, that would be so nice. <laughs> I, 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 you see, there's a lot of people who to say that. And I actually think that this beautiful devotional work. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think those priestesses who were practicing like that uh, had a lot else going on in mm -hmm. their life. No, they were fully devotional. They were fully devotional. And that's an absolute, there's a respect for me in that. And there's a beauty in that. And they were taken care of. And they were, but that is the key element. And this is what I'm getting to. They were taken care of by day temples. Mm -hmm. They were dressed. They were fed. They were financed. Mm -hmm. So when they weren't doing the 12 hour prayers, which is weren't that often, you know, um, when they were in, in civil environments, they were taken care of. Their needs, we, we talked about personal needs and nourishing ourselves, that didn't come up because they were nourished by uh, the, the body they were devoted to. We don't have that today. Mm -mm. Um, we can create that because we can create whatever we want, but do we really want to live like that is the question. Because I believe that if any priestess would have wanted to create that lifestyle by now, those temples would have been reinstated. And that world would have been reconjured because it's not that hard, uh, you know. As a as a historian, I've I've have the data. I've seen how those how those uh, day plans and <laughs> um, those ritual um, days were structured in the temples. How they would rise with the sun and honor it. What offerings they would make. Then they would come back in midday, uh, honor the midday sun. This is a solar tradition I'm using as an example, of course. Uh, then the afternoon, then the setting sun, then the evening. Um, you can do that with any other planetary cycle. Look, and you can do it with the earth, um, you know, and um, um, tending the fire. If you think about the priestesses of Vesta, for example, tending mm -hmm. the fire was 24-7 uh, devotional work and if you failed you'll you get killed uh, so there's a risky devotional work as well so um, um, this is not how full-time priestess look like in, in the 21st century and I think that's that's a reality check um, that all devotion devotees have to have before they even journey on this path that there will be human uh, aspects there will be civil duties um, there will be um, you'll have to feed yourself and uh, you'll have to dress yourself. can be a ritual. But again, yes, exactly. All of that well, can be a ritual. It can be part of your uh, priestess life. It's just not going to look exactly like how it looked in the ancient temples. And yeah. I remember reading that's okay. the mists of Avalon. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that was me in a past life. 
But now I realize when I'm driving my car mm-hmm. to pick up my kids from school, mm-hmm. right? I I can chant. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you the can. trance of driving takes me even deeper into this well of wisdom. So mm-hmm. just driving your car mm-hmm. can be a ritual if you tune into the magic of it. Like we said, cooking your food for your family. What, is, what more beautiful ritual is there when we are doing it with the consciousness and the awareness and the gratitude and the love that we offer to all of our rituals? We do it when we're cooking our food. Absolutely. A shower. A shower. Oh, having a bath. Oh, that's our favorite ritual, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah. And spending spending time and chanting and singing and praying in the bath. Yeah, welcoming the water. Mm-hmm. Water loves to be talked to and water does get lonely. And when we call the water to aliven itself, we are we are also calling in the water to enliven within ourselves. It's a ritual. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're not the domestic kind, then just walking on the lands and um, letting your feet touch the ground and not just going out for a stroll, marching through lands and having no recognition of spirit, but actually showing up and feeling the grass on your feet and sensing the life that's around you and connecting to it, communicating to it is a ritual also. Mm. And then you can do this as part of your we're supposed to be going out on daily walks nowadays, as you know, in our so, lockdown, in, in our lockdown life. Um, so, um, yes, you can absolutely do that uh, and make it a ritual. Um, having a conversation uh, can can also be a ritual practice. Absolutely. Yeah, we are full time priestesses. We are because we all that's all we talk about. And like this is a, how our average conversation sounds. True. <laughs> and how many times does your phone ring? for people who come to ask you questions it's as if it's as if people come to our temple mm-hmm. to come and seek advice and guidance from us mm-hmm. and we show up for them even though we're not in these ancient temples we're actually in our tiny cottage and yet this is what we do this is our offering this is exactly what our ancestresses did and we're still doing it Yes, that's true. That's exactly what we're doing. And I think that's a large part of the work. And my phone does ring a lot. And I get a lot of requests Mm -hmm. of questions, help, ritual. And uh, I always felt that that was was where the human duty of a priestess lies, of relating to our community, relating to our environment and showing up for them in ways we can without overextending ourselves. Uh, And sometimes that means word of wisdom. Uh, sometimes that means an action. Sometimes that means cooking a meal. It could be very different for each individual. But it's our ability to be that versatile mm-hmm. and hold that knowledge and still be human with it that, that creates that possibility. So no, we do not need the temples. We just need ourselves. That's, um, I think that's a beautiful conclusion. Mm-hmm. I have one more thing to add. Go for it. For us full-time priestesses, we always go anywhere with our backpacks and we have offerings there. Yes, because that's true. we never know when we're going to come upon a special tree that calls our name mm-hmm. or a special plant or where the river meets the sea. Mm, yes. And we always have little offerings to give. Yes. Well, we can talk a little bit about the offerings. Um, I love to leave roses behind. 
Uh, that's that's one of the things I I really find, you know, the rose embodies and symbolizes the heart medicine, the heart opening. Um, but I think the most powerful offering is giving a bit of yourself. Mm, it certainly is. And it's sometimes it becomes hair. <laughs> Saliva. Saliva, yeah. It could become blood. Um, and the other offerings I really carry with myself, um, <laughs> being being a devotee of Sakmat, is, is cat food. <laughs> I actually have nibbles in my bag. Uh, should I ever come across a kitty or a cat, that I'm the one who will always have the the cat food, um, and just honoring these these beautiful spirit guides um, that do visit me a lot. And um, the other offering bag I carry will have bird seeds in it too, so it's almost like you have an option of leaving something of you behind. You have an option of leaving something that's symbolic behind, but also something that nourishes and feeds. Mm-hmm. So I always felt that those offerings are are maybe even more powerful than some of yourself. I think so because it, it fits into the into the cycle of life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's definitely something we do um, or aim to. Songs, poetry, yes, all of that is an offering. And we were talking just the other day actually mm-hmm. about how um, the places these powerful places on earth that we have left offerings of our own physical incarnation that we can connect to those places oh yes and shape shift and go back to those places Mm -hmm. yes like that that is the purpose so the original traditional purpose of women priestesses doesn't matter just devotees leaving uh blood offerings at certain parts of the world so powerful. is that exactly is that you then created a bond with that specific location and land and you can actually travel back there in the astral mm-hmm. so i think and this is this is this is a it's going to be a new whole new conversation of blood magic mm-hmm. i think uh, but this is a very large uh, lost understanding uh, of blood mysteries that okay we're making offerings to mother gaia but why and mm-hmm. how mm. and where does it come from that's a whole nother podcast that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> right i feel um that i think we've done our very best to respond to the questions that mm. i've received and i'm really open and excited to hear more and uh, please do and uh, follow me on social media and follow us on social media and ask your questions and uh Let's open another dialogue and go into deeper into these topics and areas of uh, occult wisdom that needs to be explored and shared. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. Mm. Merry meet, merry part, and merry, merry meet, meet again. again. Blessed be. Blessed be. And today I am so excited to share with you this next song called Awakening by Siomara Crystal, a beautiful songstress and creatrix with heartfelt melodies. You can find more of Siomara's music on Spotify and on Instagram. Enjoy.